All right, let's get into our second session for this evening. And uh, the second program in our series, Is God For Real, for tonight is Signs of the Times. And we want to look at some of the signs of our times. In our last presentation, we talked about this image, this Daniel chapter 2 image, and that great stone that strikes the image at its feet. And we mentioned that that represents the kingdom of God. In fact, in the New Testament of the Bible, this is referred to as the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, when I say that, uh, that may be the first time you've even ever heard of that particular phrase. I know when I first heard of the second coming of Jesus Christ, I thought, what's that? I mean, I heard about the first one. We used to sing Christmas carols when I was a kid, right? Away in a manger and all of that. And we know that Jesus, as a real person, was born in Bethlehem, or, you know, that's, that's what the record tells us. And uh, we have all of those Christmas carols and so forth. So most people have heard the fact that he came once, but very few seem to have heard that the Bible predicts that he will come again. And though he came as a baby the first time, when he comes again, the Bible says it's going to be glorious, it's going to be dramatic, it's going to be loud, it's going to be very visible. The Bible says that like lightning that shines from the east and shines to the west, it's going to be very dramatic. It's kind of like, I suppose, you ever seen a really dramatic sunset where as the sun's dying down and it's reflecting on, you know, there may be clouds and uh, you get that sort of skies on fire kind of ap approach or, uh, you know, effect, I should say. Um, I, I kind of get the feeling that the second coming is going to be a little bit like that, but it's going to be more dramatic. It might be visually spectacular like that, but it'll be more dramatic. The Bible tells us that Jesus himself told us that he would return. He says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is talking to his disciples, his followers, just before he went to the cross. And of course he was crucified and the Bible tells us that he was buried in the tomb and then the third day he rose again and he appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days on many different occasions. But then he ascended to heaven and he's saying, I'm going away, I'm going to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus promised that he would come again, and it will be spectacular when he does. In fact, the second coming of Jesus Christ is such a central part of the New Testament that one in every 25 verses in the New Testament is related to the second coming of Christ. It appears there over 300 times, and it's one of the central teachings of the New Testament is the second coming of Christ. Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament books, he wrote this, he says, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So if Jesus is going to return, if he's going to come again, if that was what was represented by this stone that's going to strike the image at the feet and the toes, this kingdom of God that will come, when's it going to happen? It hasn't happened yet, right? But I believe that it is soon going to happen. You may have noticed that our, our world is running into some global challenges right now. 
Um, you ever heard of the doomsday clock? Doomsday clock's not, nothing to do with religion, actually. It's, these are actually a group of scientists who have this doomsday clock and they make statements every so often about what they see as the threats to human civilization. And uh, back in January this year, the doomsday clock ticks closest to midnight in 64 years due to climate change and nuclear fears. Apparently, this group of scientists feels that the world's in greater danger now than it was even a couple of years ago. And so, the reason I mention that is because we're going to read some things tonight that are going to describe the conditions of planet Earth. We're going to read some news headlines. But we're also going to read some predictions from Scripture about what the world would look like just before the second coming of Jesus Christ. So that's the comparison we're going to make. But I want you to know it's not just simply religious people who are thinking about the end of the world. Notice Stan Grant in ABC News. He, the headline was, this was their headline, could this be the end of times? Now Stan Grant's been a journalist for a while in Australia and I'm sure you've seen him on various programs. And he wrote this in uh, ABC News. He said, does the global terrorism threat Rising inequality and stagnant economic growth signal the end of times. So he's even looking at the landscape and saying, it looks bleak out there. It doesn't look like we've got a very optimistic future. What I want to do tonight is I want to compare some of the signs of our times with some of the scriptural predictions, and I want for that to give you confidence and hope in the future. If we look at the world only, we're probably going to get depressed. But when we look at what God has revealed and we see these things being fulfilled, I want it to lift our spirits and give us confidence because God knows what's going on. He knows where we live. So we're going to go to some biblical predictions. The end of the age. Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives with his disciples and they were looking over at the temple in Jerusalem. And his disciples came up to him and asked him about the second coming of Jesus and the end of the age or the end of the world, as it says in the King James Bible. And they say this, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They asked him right out, What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus begins to unpack some of the signs of the end of time. Would you like to know what he says? I hope so. <laughs> Here we go. First and foremost, the first thing Jesus says is he gives us some signs in the spiritual world. He's going to talk about a variety of different signs that indicate that his coming is near. And he's going to talk about signs in a variety of different uh, areas and the first thing he talks about is signs in the spiritual world. Notice what he says. This is directly the next line in answer to their question. What will be the signs of your coming and the end of the world? This is his first line. And Jesus answered them and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Apparently, deception is going to be rife in the last days. So the first thing he says to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, he says, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. 
Has that ever happened? Well, more recently it has happened. Maybe you, if you look here, maybe some of you remember Jim Jones and uh, the Jonestown in South America where he took a bunch of people and uh, encouraged them to commit suicide. He claimed to be a messianic figure. Then there was a guy in England called David Icke. Then I'm sure we all remember this uh, Time magazine headline, Tragedy in Waco, Texas, David Koresh and the Branch Davidians. And then there was uh, Marshall Applewhite. Maybe you remember the Heaven's Gate cult. And he again lured a bunch of people to commit suicide. But he claimed to be a messianic figure. And you might think, well, typical Americans, right? (laughs) But it's not just in America. Notice this. I'm Jesus, Riverland man says. This man's called Alan Miller. But he says he's Jesus, come back again. That's what he says. He comes from Adelaide or South Australia, and uh, he currently lives on a compound in Queensland, if you want to go visit. I don't recommend it. But notice what he says in this news article. He says, there's probably a million people who say they're Jesus, and most of them are in asylums. But one of us has to be. (laughs) You've You've got to think about his logic there. One of us has to be, and he says, but one of us has to be, how do I know I am because I remember everything about my life. Well, it's funny, you know, I've read the New Testament and I can remember lots of things about Jesus' life too. Isn't that amazing? I don't think this is Jesus. He has a girlfriend. Her name is Mary Magdalene, of course. But uh, Alan is a divorcee and uh, he's got a new girlfriend, apparently. But false Christs. Here's another one. This is uh, 2017, last September, BBC News. The men who believe they are Christ. In his new book, The Last Testament, photographer Jonas Bendixson documented men who believe they are the second coming of Christ. Over the course of two years, he travelled around the world to meet seven different men who publicly claimed they are the Son of God returned to earth. Jesus said, many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will deceive many but he doesn't want us to be deceived. When Jesus comes, it's going to be spectacular. The Bible says every eye will see him. Not just a few in a corner somewhere. Every eye will see him when he returns. It's going to be glorious. Jesus continues in the same passage in Matthew 24. He says this, he says, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. He's basically saying if it was possible, even people with Bibles in their hands would be deceived. But it won't be possible. Why? Because God has placed within the Bible the things we need to understand to prevent us from being deceived. That's why this book is so important because by it we can determine what is right and what isn't. Other place in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 4.1, it says, Now the Spirit... That's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Here the Holy Spirit says in the latter times, notice the reference, at the end of time, some are going to depart the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And 
there has been a growing interest in the supernatural, particularly the occult, and particularly in lands where they were once Christian. Right? This is taking place in the West. In Western nations that once were Christian, that built their societies on the teachings of the Bible, now there's an interest in the supernatural in the occult. And so we see a plethora of different entertainments all offering this supernatural occultic kind of worldview. The Bible says this would be a sign of the times. Jesus said there would be signs in the spiritual world. He also said there would be signs in the political world. Notice what he says here, Matthew 24, verse 6. He says, And you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must have come, come to pass, but the end is not yet. When they were looking back on the 20th century, some of us were born in the 20th century, it's been described as a century of war. Of course, there were the two world wars, but then it's, it's been said, since World War II ended, there have been on average 35 to 39 wars fought every year somewhere on planet Earth. You wouldn't want to live in Syria tonight, would you? A century of war, there have been 180 million deaths attributed to war alone in the 20th century. That's a lot of people. A lot of people massacred just by... By war. And the Bible goes on, Jesus went on, he says, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. People are getting a bit nervous about King Yong, Kim Jong-un, uh, isn't it? Kim Jong-un. You try and pronounce it. And then, of course, there's uh, his good friend Donald Trump. And, 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 you know, when they're both saying, my button's bigger than your button, <laughs> you know, no wonder some people are worried. Australians, uh, this is um, just last year, it says nine in ten Australians agree that the world has become more dangerous. That's Australians in the Sydney Morning Herald. The vast majority of Australians say the world is becoming more hazardous and their confidence that America will play a constructive role in global affairs has plummeted since Donald Trump became president. Hardly surprising. When I share these headlines with you, I'm not sharing these headlines to give you a doom and gloom kind of outlook on planet Earth. Although that's what many already have, right? I'm not, you know, we're not going through these in order to make people frightened. We're telling these things because people are already frightened. And the Bible says this, it says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. This is the words of Jesus. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus says, don't think it's going to be a bed of roses down here. But you can still have peace by trusting in me, in spite of the chaos down here. That's what he's saying. So he talked about signs in the spiritual world. He talked about signs in the political world. He also talks about signs in the natural world. He said this, he said, and there will be, talking about the signs just before his return, there will be famines, pestilences and earthquakes in various places. You know, there's a lot of famine, especially in, what is it, Eastern Africa at the moment. Over 95%, of course, of the famine is in developing countries, where well, you probably expect that. The United Nations tells us that one in every nine people is affected by famine. How well did you eat today? 
We're fine, right? But that's not the, not the case for everybody. Decreasing agricultural land is partly to blame and, and world population growth. Let me tell you a little bit about world population growth. Back in around the year 1800, it was estimated there were about a billion people on planet Earth. Then 130 years later, in 1930, there were 2 billion. We doubled the population of planet Earth to 2 billion. We took another 30 years and the population had leapt another billion to 3 billion people. I think the world would be a better place if we had 3 billion people on it now. But that was back in 1960. By 1999, we doubled that to 6 billion. In 2011, we got to 7 billion. And right now, I think it's about 7.5 billion in terms of the world population. But it, is, it has been increasing, but it's been increasing at a rate that is um, catching us out as a global community because we're not quite sure what to do. This was um, a, a book called The Little Green Handbook by Ron Nielsen, printed in 2005. He said, the population explosion came suddenly. It took the world by surprise. And we are still not sure how to react or how it will end except that it will leave a great deal of damage behind. Notice this line. We are not even sure of surviving it. Because we're having a massive effect on life on this planet. Not only the humans, but the other life on this planet. So Jesus said there would be famines, and he said there would be pestilences. There would be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. This was Time magazine last May, Warning, we are not ready for the next pandemic. We are not ready. And there are all sorts of different pestilences. Pestilences, you know what the word pestilence means, right? It's not a little brother or a little sister. It means disease, right? Illness, disease. And notice this from BBC News uh, a couple of years ago. A terrible future. By the way, that headline is theirs. The Antibiotic Apocalypse. You know where the word apocalypse comes from? It comes from a Greek word. It means revelation. The first word of the book of Revelation is apocalypse, or apocalypsis in Greek. And we use that word to refer to the end of the world. And so BBC News had the headline, The Antibiotic Apocalypse. It says a terrible future could be on the horizon, a future which rips one of the greatest tools of medicine out of the hands of doctors. It is a future without antibiotics. This might read like the plot of a, a science fiction novel, but there is genuine fear that the world is heading into a post-antibiotic era. And some of the things that we just take for granted, prescribed antibiotics, that'll fix it up. We could run into real trouble if that happens. And Jesus said there will be pestilence. And the last one of those three that he mentions, there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Have you noticed how many great earthquakes there are of recent times. Uh, NBC News said this back in 2014. They said, worldwide surge in great earthquakes seen in the past 10 years. They said the annual number of great earthquakes nearly tripled over the last decade. Between 2004 and 2014, 18, <coughs> 18 earthquakes with magnitude of 8.0 or more rattled subduction zones around the globe. There's an increase, that's an increase of 265% over the average rate of the previous century. Jesus said there would be earthquakes. And, you know, I don't know, I, I, anytime there's a big one, 
I just jot it down somewhere and you can see, you, maybe you can remember some of these. And We're so acclimatised to this that it passes and then a week goes by and there's some other headline to focus on, right? So who remembers the people in Iran and Iraq who got struck by a 7.3 earthquake? We barely even remember it anymore. Jesus said there would be earthquakes. He also said this to his disciples. He said, there will be signs in the sun, in the moon and the stars. And we could talk about that, but we won't. And on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Well, we've certainly seen seen the sea and the waves roaring. We've had a lot of uh, hurricanes, particularly in the Mexican Gulf area. And these were just some from last year. You know, does anybody remember Tropical Cyclone Debbie anymore? (laughs) You know, because we had such enormous hurricanes in Hurricane Harvey, Irma and Maria. And BBC's headline was, Catastrophic Maria Batters the Dominican. And so we have the sea and the waves roaring. The Bible says, Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming from the earth. Like I said before, we're not sharing these high, you know, headlines and Bible verses to try and make you afraid. We're sharing them because people on earth are already afraid. They're afraid of what is coming upon the earth. You know, when you talk about fear, fear is the greatest weapon of the terrorist, right? Because they only have to set off one bomb or even make the threat of a bomb and people, we get fearful. We don't know if it's going to happen tomorrow. Don't know where I can be that it's going to be safe. And fear is one of the weapons of terrorism today. Jesus spoke about signs in the natural world. There's a verse in the book of Revelation which talks about the very, very end, when everything's going to wrap up, and it says, The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and then at the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. That's an interesting line because for centuries and millennia, it would have seemed impossible for humankind to destroy the earth. And yet, we're doing that. Of course, we talked about the possibility of a nuclear arms conflict, which we haven't had, but that could destroy the earth, but we don't even need that because we're destroying the earth environmentally, right? You know that there's a big swirl of plastic in the Pacific Ocean? You know, they throw that bottle on the floor and then it gets swept down the drain and into the river and out to sea and then eventually it ends up in one of these cycles and there's this big pool of plastic in the Pacific Ocean about the size of Texas. And a lot of it you can't even see because it's microscopic. Because what happens to these plastic bottles and other things is they break down. You know, in the sun and with the water they break down, but they don't disappear. They break down into microscopic fragments of plastic. And little fish come along and they think it's food. And they eat the plastic. And those little fish get eaten by bigger fish. And then the bigger fish, they get caught by us and slapped on our plate or put in a uh, fillet of fish burger at Macca's. And some of that plastic's going to end up in our our system. And that's the danger. Because we're poisoning the planet. You ever ever remember the Deepwater Horizon? Back in uh, 2010, the reason I remember this is 
I went on a, um, an overseas study tour that lasted for two months. This started before I left. It was still going when I got back. It lasted for three months and it poured 4.9 million barrels of crude oil into the Gulf. What are we doing to the planet? There's a verse in the book of Revelation talking about the very end of time. We're not there yet. But it says, Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Well, we're not there yet because not everything in the sea is dead yet, right? But have you seen these reports of these mass of fish being washed up on the beach dead? Notice what Newsweek's saying. This, this is like some years ago. Newsweek, are the oceans dying? 90% of the big fish are gone. Scientists are struggling to make sense of the fallout. World Wildlife, in the BBC News report, it says the Living Planet Assessment by the Zoological Society of London and the World Wildlife Fund suggests that if the trend continues... Uh, that decline could reach two-thirds among vertebrates by 2020. They're saying that world wildlife has fallen by 58% in the last 40 years. That's huge. And we can't keep doing that to other species without thinking it's going to have an effect on us at some point. The figures suggest that animals living in lakes, rivers and wetlands are uh, suffering the biggest losses. The Bible says this, again written 800 years BC, lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish away like smoke, the earth will grow old like a garment. It seems to me that the earth is growing old right now. It's growing old. It's wearing out. Looks like we need a rescue plan and God has put one in place. God has put one in place. That second coming of Jesus Christ is God's rescue plan. We talked about it a little bit last week, but we're going to talk about some more tonight. So Jesus talked about signs in the natural world. He also talked about signs in the social world. There's a passage in the Old Testament book of Daniel at the end of the book and it says this, it says, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Written 2,500 years ago, these lines. Now, the principal meaning of this verse is that knowledge would increase about the book of Daniel and that people would go to and fro in the book of Daniel to increase knowledge. That's the principal understanding of this verse. But we would have to be blind not to think that in the last couple of hundred years we've had an explosion in knowledge and an explosion in our ability to go to and fro or travel on the earth. You know, if you think about it, for about 3,000 years, you could go back to the time of Abraham in the Bible and people got around on horses and chariots, Right? That was the fastest you could get around. The, the fastest you could get around was by a horse and chariot. And that was still true a couple of hundred years ago, wasn't it? Still true, just 200 years ago. That was the fastest you could go. But then we started to have steam engines and then the internal combustion engine. And by the way, when, you, when we had the earliest cars, how did they measure how much power they had? What kind of power was it? 
horsepower. We still talk about horsepower, right? Because that was the power that dragged us along. And basically, in the last century or so, we've gone from riding chariots to sending Teslas into space. There's been an astronomical, literally, an astronomical leap in knowledge and our ability to travel in the last century. I think that's a sign of the times. Jesus, in Matthew 24, he goes on and he says this, he says, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Every, probably every person in this auditorium has known the pain of family breakdown, whether it's our own family or it's our parents' family or our children's family or a brother, sister or a friend. We've all known that pain. And because of lawlessness, the love of many grows cold. God is saying to us, don't allow the lawlessness in the world to let your love grow cold. Keep love strong. Take time to be the peop- with the people that you love. Take time to tell, you, tell them that you love them. Because you never know. I thought this was an unfortunate billboard. This was a billboard to sell a house. And it says on here, it just didn't work. And they're selling the block because it just didn't work. And that's a little unfortunate. Another reason that love is growing cold is we're looking for love in all the wrong places. Pornography has become a plague. I've got some stats here I'm going to share with you for a moment. And that's not the one. Give me a moment. This was uh, on ABC News in June last year, ABC Australia. The news report said that 40% of boys between 15 and 29 years of age watch porn on a daily basis. 40% of boys, 15 to 29, 40% watch porn on a daily basis. What do you think that does to their ability to have a normal conversation, a normal relationship with a member of the opposite sex? It's destroying our relationships. The Bible also said this. These are the words of Jesus. He says, Likewise as it was also in the days of Lot, even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. The Son of Man is simply another reference for Jesus. But Jesus said as it was in the days of Lot, that's what it's going to be like just before Jesus returns. Well, who was Lot? Lot lived in a place called Sodom. Maybe you've heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. They had rampant sexual immorality. So much so that it was just part of their culture. You couldn't, there was nowhere you could turn and not see it. Is our culture becoming that way? As it was in the days of Lot, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. These are some of the signs of the times that Jesus is telling us these will be prevalent just before Jesus returns in glory. You know, something else regarding love growing cold, there's a book by Michael and Diane Medved. It's called Saving Childhood and Protecting Our Children from the National Assault on Innocence. 
These, were, these are American figures, right? But notice what they say in the book. The average American child will spend more time watching TV by the age of five than they will spend talking to their father in their lifetime. I want you to think about that. Aren't you glad that's only in America? We wish. We wish. That is a staggering statistic. More hours of television by the age of five than they'll spend talking to their fathers in their lifetime. Love growing cold. Jesus also said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. What was it like in the days of Noah? Well, in the days of Noah, the Bible tells us that it was a place filled with violence. And we don't even, you know, you could look at any news report and see that. Was it just yesterday or the day before? It was a case of a, a woman, she was a wife who was pregnant and she was stabbed to death 50 times. She was pregnant, she was carrying the child, neither she nor the child survived. 50 times, once would have been too many, right? The Bible says, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. The Bible says, before it gets better, it's going to get worse. But the reason we're sharing these things with you is because we want you to have confidence in the God of the Bible who revealed these things. We would like to find man-made solutions, but we're not the solution. Unfortunately, we're part of the problem. God is the only solution. I'm going to share a little bit more about that tomorrow. But the Bible says it will get worse and worse Notice this, this could be the headlines, couldn't it? This is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, Know this, that in the last days, notice the reference, it's not just saying any old time, it's saying in the last days. Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. Slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's an interesting line, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Sometimes Australia has been described as a hedonistic society. Hedonism is the love of pleasure, right? Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You know, we've never lived in a society where we have had more entertainment available to us than we have now. It's never been more available. It's right at the end of your, your hand, right, on your phone. You can get anything you want, as much as you want, as long as what you want, whenever you want. And I actually think that a lot of us, we turn to entertainment to try and take our mind off the realities of, world, of the world we live in. I, I had a, a couple of friends who were just visiting with me from the UK. And uh, he was talking, he says, when I go to the cinema, I don't want to see realism, I want to see fantasy, I want to escape. Because I don't want to deal with the, the real world, I want to go there and escape. 
We become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And Jesus talked about signs in the social world. He also talked about, well, the Bible talks about signs in the financial world. This is from James in the New Testament. Notice what he says here. Your gold and silver are corroded. Now, does gold and silver normally corrode? No, not so much. But here it says... Things must be real bad because it says your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure when? In the last days. It's talking about those who are getting rich off the back of the poor in the last days. Notice what it says. Indeed, the wages of the labourers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. James here says that in the last days there are going to be people heaping up treasure for themselves. It's not going to be worth much, folks. If gold and silver corrode, you know it's going to fall on bad times. This was uh, just February. Are we in March now? So this is only last month. Worst in history, CNN said. The Dow Jones plunges 1,700, what is it? No, 1,175 points. It's the worst point decline in history. It was the scariest day on Wall Street, they said, in years. Stocks went into free fall on Monday in easily the biggest point decline in history during a trading day. But we recovered, right? It recovered. So relax. Won't happen again, will it? I mean, the GFC, that's not going to happen again, is it? Did you know, I think Bill Gates just last week said... Uh, he was asked, do you think there'll be another financial crisis like we had in years? He said, certainly, definitely, it's going to happen. Because we haven't learned the lessons from the first one. We've just tried to patch it up. But we didn't learn the lessons from the first one. The Bible says this in Revelation eighteen seventeen: for in one hour such great riches came to nothing. And we, we you know, we are, sometimes we see that. How long before it crashes and it doesn't get back up? So the Bible records signs in the financial world, but here's the sign I really want to impress upon you. Here's the sign that what I call the final sign. Because there's another sign that Jesus spoke about. And if a lot of that was the bad news, this is the good news. This is the final sign, and it's the sign that brings the greatest good news. Notice what he says in Matthew 24, verse 14. He says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. He says, This gospel of the kingdom. Well, what is the gospel? The word gospel simply means good news. He says, This good news of the kingdom. What kingdom? That kingdom that's going to come and strike the feet. That kingdom that is the second coming of Christ. Remember when Jesus prayed, he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's the kingdom we're talking about. He says the good news of this kingdom, that God has a kingdom, a a non-perishable kingdom, a kingdom where pain and suffering and deceit and fraud and disaster is not part of that kingdom. This kingdom, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. He says it's going to be preached in all the world, and that includes war's end. And he says it's going to be preached as a witness to all the nations. It doesn't say they're all going to believe. It doesn't say they're all going to tag along and say, yes, 
We want to be a part of that kingdom. It's preached as a witness to them so that they have an opportunity. And he says, and then when that has happened, then the end will come. Not the end might come, but the end will come. And we have never been in a position like we are today to be able to share the good news about God's kingdom around the globe. We've never been in that position, in a better position than we are now to share that message across the world in an instant. In the book of Revelation, it kind of picks up on this gospel going to all the world. There's a passage in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verse 6. It's called the three angels' messages. And the first of those angels has this message. Notice what it says. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. I guess that would include us. To preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue and people. This everlasting gospel, the everlasting good news about God is going to all the world, every nation, kindred, tongue and people. And when that happens, then the end will come. And I don't know about you, I'm hoping that you can see that some of the signs of the times that we've talked about tonight are just screaming at us from the news headlines tonight. We're there at the brink, we're at the toes. We're right there. Again, the words of Jesus, Now when these things began to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Jesus says when you see these things, look up because Jesus is soon coming. The reason God shared these things in the Bible is not to frighten us. It's not to twist our arm. God is trying to get us to understand he knows what's going on on planet Earth today. He knows what's going on on planet Earth in your life, in your home, in your heart. He knows. And the incredible thing about the Bible is in spite of the fact that he knows all of this, he's still telling us, I love you and I want you to come home. I know everything about you. Don't think that that I don't know things about you. I'm going to mention this tomorrow, but God sees you in the shower. He knows everything about you, but he loves you in spite of it. And that's why he's made an opportunity. When these things begin to happen, he says, look up, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. You know, Jesus, when he came the first time, he was talking to his own people. He was actually talking to the religious leaders of his own people. And he told them a little story. He said, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. He says, hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Jesus was saying to the people of his day, you know, you've heard that expression, red sky at night. Is it sailors or shepherds? Which one do you use? We use shepherds back in England. But some use sailors, right? Red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in the morning... Sailor's warning, right? In other words, we can look at the sky and say, I think it's going to be good or bad weather tomorrow. And Jesus says, hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times? How is it that that is so obvious to us, and yet 
What we've been sharing here is less obvious to us. I want to share a story in closing tonight. There was a British family who decided to escape the winter of Britain and go to a sunny beach for the Christmas holidays. And they went to Thailand. And there was mum and dad and the two daughters. And uh, Tilly, <coughs> the uh, 10-year-old daughter, she was walking on the beach with her family. It was Boxing Day. Beautiful sunny day like you see on the picture. And she noticed that the water was starting to do some really unusual things. You know, the, instead of just peacefully lapping up against the shore, it started to swirl around and it started to draw back from the shore. And she says, I know what's going to happen. And she started screaming to her parents and to her sister, we've got to get off this beach. Something's going to happen. We have to get off the beach. And dad's thinking, hey, settle down. We're having an enjoyable stroll on the beach here. You know, what's got in the... What's got into my daughter? She's going mad. But she was so vehement in her warnings to her parents that her parents and her family and all the other families on the beach got off the beach. She was so distraught and so convincing in her warning that everybody got off the beach. And that was Boxing Day in 2004. And a tsunami was about to take place because of a 9.0 earthquake and the waves were about to crash in, killing around that whole region. About 260,000 people died that day. But she and her family and the people that she got off the beach all survived. There were over 100 people on that beach whose lives were saved because Tilly Smith, age 10, understood the signs and gave the warning. She was given a life-saving award for her efforts, but she understood the signs and she gave the warning so that people would not perish. God has given us in the Bible the signs of our times. We can see them all around. We can't pretend we don't see them. And not only are we to respond to that, we're to give the warning to somebody else. Because it's not enough for us to just run off the beach and say, at least I got off. We're supposed to be the ones who give the warning to others so that they can get off the beach too. I don't know where you are in your life, but I know one thing for certain. Just as the kingdoms in that chapter, in Daniel chapter 2, have all come and gone, Jesus' kingdom is coming. It's coming very, very soon, probably sooner than any of us imagine. All the signs that we've covered tonight are all happening. It's not that they're about to happen, they're happening now. And God wants for us to recognise the signs and be safe when the end comes.